30 years ago, seems a while now, um, when I was a student, uh, I spent the summer uh, from the end of June through to the uh, first week of September in America. And most of the time that I was there, I was working in a summer camp. Now, to get there, it was a bit of a journey. I had my first visit to Heathrow. I'd never been there before. I had my first flight on a jet airliner. My first night in New York. And my first experience of an American bus terminal. And eventually I arrived at the campsite in New Jersey. And the time flew past. It just whizzed. I I threw myself into what we were doing there, into the building of things, into the work with the young people, all stuff going in. And then about three and a half, almost four weeks that I'd been there, the, the, there was a, a site tannoy system. And one day in the, in the middle of the day, it suddenly announced that I was called to the camp director's office. Now, the, the tannoy wasn't usually used much. It was mainly used when we were practicing that somebody had drowned down at the lake. That was the thing, that we'd lost somebody at the lake and that we all had to go and search for them. So to call me over the tannoy system, I knew something was up. So I got summoned into the camp director's office and Ethan looked at me and said my mum had phoned. And I said, oh, why? And his response was, well, she wondered where you were. <laughs> well, she, she knew I was here. She knew that I was coming here. It's not as if I was about to pop in for tea, is it? But, of course, the, the issue was that I'd been there nearly four weeks And I'd never called to say I had arrived. You know. And I'd not sent a postcard. And there had been no communication at all. And uh, the family back home were, shall we say, starting to get a little concerned. You know, they wanted to know I was safe. The last thing they had seen was waving goodbye to me as I got onto a National Express bus at Carlisle at midnight on the 23rd of June. So they didn't even know if I'd made it to London. They wondered where I was. And when we've not heard from someone, we wonder where they are, what's happening, what's going on. 
And that's kind of where our reading starts, isn't it? Put yourself into the shoes of the Israelites for whom it had been 40 days and 40 nights, plus a little bit more, since they had seen Moses go up the mountain. He headed off into the mountain covered with cloud. He'd been hidden from sight for as long as the rains had fallen at the time of the great flood. Surely something must have happened to him. Surely something had gone wrong. Surely he couldn't just be doing what he set out to do, could he? To spend time with God. And so the people pondered. People thought about what could possibly have gone wrong. And they lost faith. They could see the fiery cloud on the top of the mountain that showed the presence of the Lord, yet they lost faith. And this had been the the story that had been there for the whole of their journey. You see, they, they knew that God was with them, And then they promptly forgot about it. They had big reminders. Reminders of how faithful God had been to them. But they forgot about it. A reminder in the shape of a cloud that always went ahead of them. A fiery presence in the night. But even that was not enough to remind them that God was there, that God was looking after them, that God would take care of them. The whole journey, they got to the Red Sea and they lost faith. They wondered and worried about food and they lost faith. <laughs> They were concerned about water and they lost faith. And each time they lost faith, they grumbled to Moses. And Moses prayed. He turned to God. And a way ahead was open to them. The sea parted. The manna and the quail fell. The rocks burst open as they got hit by the staff. Each time when they lost faith, they turned to Moses and Moses stepped in and turned to God. The God who loved them and who had rescued them from Egypt. And in that bringing of prayer on their behalf, Moses performs the role of a priest. Bringing that prayer. We can all bring prayer. We believe that we are a royal priesthood. Each one of us can come before the Lord and 
bring our prayers to him. We are his family. He welcomes prayer from all of us. It doesn't require us to turn to somebody else. But we can bring our own prayers to God. Yes, it's good to pray together. But we can each speak. Now this time, the Israelites can't grumble to Moses. Because their grumbling is about the fact that Moses isn't there. Where is he? Can't we get on with the journey? We want to be in this promised land. What's happened to him anyway? Who was this chap? Who really cares about him? Let's get on with it. They move on fast, these Israelites. But they turn to Aaron. Now, Aaron was called to be the one that could speak. He was the eloquent brother. He was the one that could share words that people would listen to. When Moses can't speak, Aaron would be able to. But that's not what he does. He doesn't speak. He just acts. Comes up with his own plan. He doesn't turn to the other leadership. He doesn't speak with the 70 elders. He doesn't pray. When you are under pressure, when you are struggling in the world, when you cannot take it on yourself, you need to come before God. Sometimes you pray directly. Sometimes you will ask others to pray with you, I hope. But that prayer, that turning to God, is the thing that Aaron doesn't do. The passage... uh, In this passage, we see that the people have lost faith. And in the absence of Moses, there is no one to help them in that faithfulness. They're not advancing on the journey. And they feel that God is absent. Now, of course, that's a misunderstanding on their behalf. They think that a journey is always about moving forward. But quite often on journeys, we arrive somewhere and we have a rest. Like me getting to Heathrow. I had to get off the bus and onto a plane. The journey had to change. Like me arriving in New York all that time ago. I landed on the plane and I had to get back on a bus to travel to the place I needed to go. And in the course of that, I'd spend a night. Sometimes we have to stop 
and wait. And that's true on a long journey, a physical journey, but it's true on the journeys of our life too. There are times when we're moving forward and other times when we need to pause and wait and discover what's the next thing. Wait for the right time for the connection that moves us further ahead. If they had simply lifted their heads, if they had simply looked up, they would have seen the fiery cloud that was atop the mountain. They would have known God was present. But instead they look down. They look at the earth and they think, what are we doing here? Do we look up? Do we think of how God is always with us? Whether it's a good time or a bad time, God is there. We might not see him because we're not looking. He doesn't abandon us. He sees where we are, but we might not see him. Sometimes we have an idea of what is happening, an idea of the way forward, and when it should occur, and how it should be shaped. But is that being framed by our relationship with what God is doing in our life? Or how often is it framed by the culture we live in and the unfaithful traditions we have developed? The things that we've picked up from elsewhere that might not be of God. The jewellery that is gathered by Aaron and melted and moulded and crafted into a calf is the gold plundered at the time of the Passover. God told them to take it. He told them to go and ask their neighbours for gold and silver. And he softened the hearts of the Egyptians that Egyptians would give the Israelite neighbours some wealth for their clothing. And the idol is a model of a young bull, symbolizing power and fertility in the Egyptian culture that they had supposedly left behind, that they had supposedly fleed from. The people wanted it. But populism is not always right. Just because Aaron heard loud voices asking for gods rather than God, it did not mean he had to comply. National leaders sometimes have to go against the people of their own country to do God's will. That might be a vote-losing thing to do. 
so perhaps few do it. But greatness comes in being bold, in doing the right thing. And Moses, who knew how to respond to a crisis when the people came to him, but Aaron didn't. In the making of the idol, the long-established covenant with Abraham, you will be my people, and I will be your God. That covenant is broken. Abraham would have many sons and daughters. It was a promise as many as stars in the sky. But they were called to be faithful. And at the time of the crunch, they're not. The calf presents a breach of the first three commandments. The commandments that were just given to Moses up the mountain. He's not even had time to get back from the mountain to share what God desires. The people request a God which they will follow instead of the one true God. The first commandment. Aaron has cast an image of a beast that they plan to bow before and worship. A breach of the second commandment. The third commandment is broken by Aaron committing blasphemy. Making the altar to the calf but declaring a festival of worship to the Lord. They are breaking that covenant that was established between God and Abraham and the sons and daughters of Abraham. You cannot have your cake and eat it. We can choose, we can each choose to worship falsehood or to be faithful to the Lord. And there's no middle ground. There may be many, many small decisions and big decisions to take in life. And some choices might matter to God and some might, he might not be too bothered about. But on matters of faith, it is not a spectrum of choice. It's not shades of grey. It's between what is of God and what is not. And the people of the passage chose what was not. And Aaron went along with that and supported them in doing that. Meanwhile, Moses... He'd not been twiddling his thumbs. He'd been in the Lord's presence. He'd been learning 
something of how God requires his people to live so that as a people we can live well together in harmony with each other and in harmony with the Lord. But that harmony is already broken before Moses comes down the mountain. They are a stiff-necked bunch, just as all humanity is. And the suggestion is made by God of wiping out all the children of Israel. This is what I may do. May. My anger may burn against them. That I may destroy them. God doesn't actually say that he is going to. But he says I may. He's thinking about what he does. But Moses is there. Moses is there. And what does Moses do? Moses prays. Moses prays. It's what he's done the whole journey through. He is a priest and he brings prayer. Prayer that those who have sinned may know love. That the Lord's name may be great in other nations and not dishonoured. That the fullness of the promises may be seen and that they may be known. He steps into the situation and brings it to the Lord. He prays. I wonder how often in our prayers we speak like this to God. Moses is confident of that prayer that he is bringing. There he is, at the mountaintop, the same geographical context as the call of the burning bush. In communion with the Lord as he had been. But it's hard to see him here as the same man as back in Exodus 4, verse 10, when he says, Pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. It's almost like he's a different person, isn't it? He's not. He's the same man. But he's a man who's much stronger in his relationship with God. A man who has walked with the Lord... And sat with the Lord. He has met with the Lord and understands the ways of the Lord. 
He speaks differently now to God because he sees more of who God is. Not simply a disembodied voice from the burning bush, but the one that's done amazing things. The one that's shown amazing love. The one that's led the people out of Egypt and fed them and given them water to drink in the wilderness. The one that's now carved his word on tablets of stone, a message for the people. The relationship is so much stronger and so the prayers change. And the prayer that Moses brings is firmly rooted in scripture. In the promises to the forefathers, but also in that knowledge of how Abram pleads for Sodom. And of how Jacob wrestles wanting a blessing. If we are in relationship with God, a mature relationship that reads the word and listens to the spirit and lives daily for Jesus, we will pray declaring the truth of God's ways. This is where Moses is on the mountainside. He's not lost. He is found. He is in true relationship. And although he doesn't know it yet, he speaks in a way that uh, God will speak in a couple of chapters' time. Because the Lord will say, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Moses steps in on the mountainside. He prays for the people at the time that they are still worshipping their false god. And at the time they are still worshipping their false god, the Lord decides, no, he's not going to destroy them. Because he is a God of love. We are to be people of love. People of faithfulness. People of prayer. Coming before God with intercessions for the world. Stepping in When those people are struggling, when they moan, when they've got groans, when they are not thinking of God at all, we might not always know the right thing to say, the right thing to do. But listen for the Lord, and those words will come. Amen.